0: Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville, with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Fresh Bread, podcast number nine. Fresh Bread, where we bring the truth of God's Word to a starving world. And we're smack dab in the middle of our look at eschatology or the last days. And we went through post-millennial last week or last time in podcasts six and seven as a two-parter. And so today we'll look at the Amil view of eschatology. And remember, there are three main views of the last things last days, and, and the millennium, and, and the, the word millennium means a thousand years, the thousand year reign of Christ, and we get that, that word from Revelation 20, that's where that, that comes from. And so the big three are mainly the post-mill, ah-mill, and pre-mill. And so before we jump into ah-mill, Pastor Brandon, can you give us a, just a quick summary of post-mill? Yeah, I mean,
1: post-mill, what we talked about last time, just a brief summary would be that we, Christ is reigning from on high now. Uh, That AD 70, uh, when Jerusalem was conquered by uh, Rome or or destroyed by Rome, really, that inaugurated this uh, church age and that during the church age, we are Christianizing the nations. Uh, that we are taking the gospel to the nations, but it's not just a spiritual reign, but that Christ is uh, reigning from on high and that he's reigning through the church and that the church, he's using the church during this this period of time, he's using the church to Christianize uh, the world. And that includes not just spiritually in the gospel, but that includes the governments uh, becoming more Christian, that includes uh, the arts, uh, becoming Christian, entertainment, becoming Christian, that ultimately, you know, some would hold, well, ultimately is going to lead to a golden age of Christianity and where where Christ will uh, then return. Uh, I do think that, that they hold that there's going to be a, uh, at the end, there's going to be an apostasy that he'll stamp out in his return, but he'll return to set up the new heavens and the new earth. But Ultimately, he will, will return to a Christianized world—a world where most people are believers in, in the Lord Jesus and are living according to His law, uh, and and that His law has much to do with it in terms of you know that they would see the Ten Commandments being uh, being the definitive law of the land or of, of the world. Uh, so so that. It, you know, we see really the idea of theonomy, or the idea that uh, that God's of God's economy being set up on on the world, uh, therefore all the nations are following God's law, as opposed to man's law.
0: Mm, just a very hopeful look at the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know we talked about it last time that that you end up with this very optimistic view, it, you know, it's an eschatology. They call it an eschatology of hope. And I, I understand that. I get that. Uh, as a matter of fact, you it, uh, know, it's appealing. It's appealing to me as a, I mean, it was appealing. would have definitely been appealing as a younger man, um, you know, knowing that, you know, my life can make a difference in the sense of I can have children and grandchildren and great grandchildren and that I can have an impact. I even heard Doug Wilson say, that you know, can you imagine a world where, you know, someone living today can can be thought of as living at the same time mm-hmm. as one of the early church fathers? Uh, that mm-hmm. this world, you know, that it's a longer age than we think. You know, whereas the dispensational view would have more of an idea of of Christ's coming as imminent, that it's coming as soon, and the postmill view would be that it's coming is is a long way off, and that because of that, that we can have this impact that can be felt throughout the age. You know, the work that we're doing now, whether it be in the church or whether it be in our families, the work that we're doing now makes a different difference in the world long term.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And as we explain these, we, we are, it's kind of a high flyover. We're not diving into each one as deep as we could go, right? I mean, we could do Five podcasts probably on each one, but
1: well, we could do we could do a lot. I mean, obviously, a lot of people have done a lot of work on each one of these. I mean, you got you know that you know Doug Wilson, James White, um, you know, there's Gary Demar. There's definitely names out there that have done a lot of work on the Post Mill View, and and so I mean, they have hours and hours and hours and books and everything written on these on these things. And so yeah, we're just doing you know forty five minutes trying to do an overview of them. And, and I think the weakness of what we're doing, you know, just being you know, honest with ourselves and with the listener is that, you know, we can't hit, we can't hit every aspect. And, and, and truthfully, each of these guys hold a little bit different. I mean, it, it's the same thing in the dispensational camp, so to speak you know, the, it, there's different views within each camp. And so, you know, when I say or we say this is how they, they view things, I mean, obviously there's exceptions. There could be exceptions. To, we're just trying to, we're really just trying to give a general view of this is what it looks like. Uh, I just want to, you know, each what each view looks like. I, I just want to say, too, you know, in terms of that uh, optimism, I would argue, and, and I said it last time, you know, I, I would argue that it can yield itself to a fleshly understanding of the world. And, you know, not that, you know, the charismatic view is kind of the health and wealth view of, you know, we can have, that God intends us to have health and, and wealth. But I think that this is a the post-millennial view can have that same danger, uh, that I I think that, that God is, you know, working through me and, and that I can have a business that's going to be successful. And, and, not that I can't have those things, but it's not. But I think the view would give itself to thinking that that God is, you know, part of that, and that He is working through me, and I'm improving the world by having a business, or I'm improving the world by by having a family, and you know, and 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 it almost I can see where people would kind of get this idea that that sort of God is is going to do this because, because I'm on his side, you know, and I'm, I'm being used by him. And I think there's a danger there. I mean, I think there's a danger of thinking that, you know, because what do you do with trials? What do you do with difficulty? What do you do with suffering? And, and I think that, you know, whereas the premillennial view would certainly have a more robust, robust understanding of, of suffering for the, for the sake of Christ, because I'm, my job is uh, it you know, I said it I've said it to you and I don't think I've said it on the on the podcast, whereas, you know, I kinda think of the postmill view as being a renovation of the world. Uh, I'm I'm renovating, whereas the pre mill view is more of a rescue operation mm. uh, using the Rs. You know, that that post mill would say I'm renovating and, and I'm taking the gospel as a renovation project, you know, taking it out to the nations. Whereas we would say that we're rescuing the nations, that we're Going out. We're taking the, the gospel to the nations in order to rescue those or to to bring them to Christ so that they can be saved.
0: That's a good way to look at it because it helps me with a visual like that. That that helps a lot. Helps me understand it. And like you said, yeah, our human our human side, we tend to either oversimplify or overcomplicate. And I think what we're going to discover as we look at all these views of eschatology, there are ditches on both sides. Like there are <laughs> there are deep holes that we can fall into where, uh, it can lead us to strange places.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, you and I talked about it before we started recording it. I think that we have to be careful even, you know, with a pre view, because we can, we can tend to have, and this sort of, this world doesn't matter kind of mentality and that we are just here, you know, and, and here today, gone tomorrow. And, and, I don't have to worry about you know what's going to happen a hundred years from now or five hundred years from now, and you know, and it, it can lead to. As a matter of fact, in Second Thessalonians, I would argue that Paul says when he tells the the Thessalonians that if they don't work, they they don't eat. It was because it was in response to people who were thinking that Christ was coming back, you know, soon, and they were just waiting. You know, they were the first date setters. You know, they were just waiting. Christ to come and they weren't working and they weren't building, you know, into their lives. They weren't teaching their children and doing things and getting ready, you know, or they were getting ready for Christ to come back, but they weren't thinking it was going to be, you know, two thousand plus years later.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think I think there's dangers on all sides. So hopefully, what we're trying to do is clarify and help people understand the main structures of each one. And like I said today, we're moving into mill. So. Are you yeah, ready?
1: I'm ready for Amil, but let's uh, let's take a moment before we dive into that. Let's take a moment to really. I think there are one of the questions that I received in verbally from one of our listeners uh, was really the, to talk about the four main approaches to interpreting uh, the New Testament prophecies. And so I just wanted to take just a few minutes, you know, four or five minutes here, just to really give the four main ways to look, especially at especially at Revelation, but also at Matthew 24, um, the Olivet Discord, Discourse. And so so the, there are four main ways to view these things. Uh, there's the Futurist view, which is more the premillennial view. Um, basically, the Futurist view says that the majority of the prophecies in the book of Revelation are yet to be fulfilled. Um Basically, Revelation one would be the things that John saw uh, during his time. Uh, Revelation two would be uh, so. It basically, John's that the fact that Christ revealed Himself to him. Revelation two and three would be the things that that are the things that, that basically the churches, the seven churches that, that existed in Asia Minor at that time, and then the things which soon must soon take place, and and so. Everything from four all the way to really chapter, really chapter twenty-one, uh, ends up being the things that are prophet prophetic from John's future or from John from from John at that point. Now I would take a a view that Revelation was written in around eighty ninety five, um, and so I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Those who um, hold a futurist view would generally hold that revelation was written after AD 70 so the things that are occurring in revelation couldn't be a, as a couldn't be looking at AD 70 that it was something past AD 70 so that's the futurist view the, the historicist view holds that the prophecies in, in revelation are being fulfilled throughout history uh, they describe really this ongoing conflict between the church the church and forces of evil in the world and this view sees the events and uh, the characters described in Revelation as symbolic of historical events and movements with the ultimate victory of Christ over evil being realized gradually over time. So that's really the, the historicist view. And then there's the preterist view. The preterist view holds that the prophecies in Revelation were mostly fulfilled in the, in the first century AD during the time of the Roman Empire. Um, specifically, that that eighty seventy would have been the fulfillment of of those things. That when Rome uh, when Rome destroyed when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, that those prophecies were that were written would have been fulfilled at that point. That's the that's the preterist view, and then there's the idealist view, which I'm a little bit more um, fuzzy on. But the idealist view. Um, holds that the prophecies in Revelation are not meant to be interpreted as describing historical events or a future sequence of events, but rather presenting timeless truths about the ongoing conflict between good and evil in the world. And so it, it, it sees the events and characters described in Revelation as symbolic universal spiritual truths, or as symbolic of universal spiritual truths and this cosmic struggle between God and Satan. So, they would see it that more that way. So again, there's the futurist view, which holds that it's going to give you know, this literal um, understanding of what's going on, you know, in the time of tribulation and in the time after that. Um, and so that, that would lead up to a physical millennial kingdom, a uh, thousand year reign on earth. That's more the futurist view. The historicist view says that it's more of just a, and giving us an understanding of what's going on in history throughout the church age, the preterist, preterist view would be that it's being all of those things or most of those things. They wouldn't say um, the very end of Revelation would be would have already been fulfilled, but they would say that most of what you see in Revelation was fulfilled in the first century. And the idealist view is more of a, a just kind of a description of good versus evil uh, in the world.
0: Yeah, that's a good summary. There are a lot. <laughs> It is funny when you mention that the four views. Uh, there's more to this than meets the eye. I think you and I would fall into the futurist camp.
1: Yeah, I would certainly fall into the futurist camp. That I yeah. would believe that that what we see in Revelation is is a, is definitely more uh, specific to what's going to happen. Uh, it, you know, once you get to Revelation four. You have scenes in heaven, scenes on earth, and and the scenes on earth certainly are are. Well, I mean, I I would argue that they are indicative of what's actually going to happen on earth in in the future, uh, before Christ comes returns.
0: You know, this reminds me of you walk into a room and there's doors, and they've changed. And you open the door, there's another room. <laughs> That's what eschatology. There's so many. You know, we haven't even gotten to the pre-trib, post-trib, all that. There's all that too. So there's a lot of yeah,
1: I mean, we'll get to dispensational, uh, premillennial, the the view there, and and there's definitely even in even in that there's multiple views uh, that we'll yeah. find in that camp, um, where you know we may even find as we as we go through this, you and I both would say we're premillennial, but we may even find that we have different views, you know, within that camp, and so, wow,
0: so, uh, yeah, that'll be exciting.
1: That'll be exciting for me to show that you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks for defining those. That's That helps a little bit as we move forward. So where would you like to start with mill?
1: Well, I think a general overview of Amillennial theology would be a good way to start. Um, you know, I think that one thing that we have to recognize when it comes to the Amillennial view is that prior to it's interesting because the, we'll get into this with the premillennial view. One of the one of the things that people point to with the premillennial view is that that view didn't come into being until the twentieth century. Um, that that it was more developed in the twentieth century, and that it wasn't you know a predominant view of the early church. And we'll get into that later. But I think that what's interesting about the amillennial view is that it wasn't r- recognized as a distinct position until around the turn of the 20th, 20th century as well. Um, the, uh, until then on millennial, on millennial, those who held that view called themselves post-millennial, uh, because they believed that Christ would come back after the millennial age. They were though, um, they were different than traditional post-millennial people who held the traditional post view and that they didn't believe in an earthly millennial age yet to dawn. Uh, so, we we kind of got into that with the post mill. I mean, you could say. I mean, you could say that really the difference between post millennial, the post millennial view, and the am- amillennial view is the element of of optimism. Uh, but but I mean they, they are distinct in their understanding, but they're very very close in their in their un- in terms of how they how, where they their starting point. Uh, they both believe that Christ is going to come back, you know, after or at the end of this age um, where the post-millennial guys would say that there is some of them would say there's going to be this golden age uh, that we, you could say is the millennial kingdom. It could be a thousand years. It might not be uh, some, I, I would assume some that would even hold that there will be a thousand year golden age, if you will whereas the amillennial guys would not see uh, the thousand years as being a literal thousand years at any, at any level. So, but going back to this idea that the amillennial position and the Postmillennial position were very similar, uh, really that the, the amillennial position didn't become a distinct position until the 20th century. Um, but what we have to understand is, is that amillennials hold that the, promises made to Israel, David and Abraham in the Old Testament are fulfilled by Christ and his church during the present this present age. Uh, they would they would hold that Revelation 20 is is symbolic of of this entire age that there isn't this thousand year reign um, that really at the first advent of Christ Satan was bound by Christ's victory over him at Calvary. And so Christ died on the cross. He defeated sin and death. He defeated Satan at the cross, and that, that ultimately uh, led to him being bound. Now, what we have to recognize with them is that he's. They would say, going back to Revelation twenty, they would say that that Satan is bound in that he can't deceive the nations. It's not as if he can't. He's not roaming around. He's not. He's not. He's a, still able to do certain things and, and still able to deceive, but he can't deceive the nations. And so in that sense, he has, he has been bound and therefore the gospel can go out. And, and, and so he can't, but he can't deceive the nations ultimately. Um, But they would say that Christ is presently reigning in heaven and, and will reign the entire period between his first and second coming. And that at the end of this millennial age, Satan will be released and there will be a great apostasy that breaks out. And and then Christ will return in final judgment for all people as he establishes a new heaven and new earth. And so so really that is, a, again, really a brief synopsis or over, overview of the amillennial position. Um, I would say, going back to the amillennial versus postmillennial, um, really the the distinction between the two is that the Amils would say Amil guys would say that there is a that that there is spiritual success in this age and that Satan has been bound so that he can't deceive the nations so that matthew nineteen or matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty so that the gospel can be preached to the nations so that the, so that disciples can be made of the nations and that that Satan can't over or interfere with that. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, you can, I think I heard, uh, Votie say, it doesn't ultimately mean that we won't suffer for that and that he can't cause suffering, but at the end of the, that, but he's not allowed to hinder, you know, the, the gospel going forth. And, you know, in terms of, and I'm not sure exactly what they would say and how, you know, what he's not allowed to do and what he is allowed to do, but, but only that he is bound and, and that the gospel there, be, allows for spiritual success during this age. Whereas the Postmill guys would say, and we've talked about it before, that there's, I'll just say it this way, material success, not just spiritual success in that people come to know Christ through the gospel, but there's material success in that, that there's going to be this um, golden age, if you will, that we can attain in the church age, and it's going to be Christ reigning from heaven through the church, that he's giving us really material success, if you will, in, in governments and, in, you know, Christianizing government, Christianizing arts, Christianizing entertainment, um, you know, really the Christianizing ultimately this world.
0: So it's a lot like post mill you were saying. So they do believe that the, the world will get better. Is a mill believe that too?
1: No, I, I I think that they would take a more pessimistic. Okay. Yeah. That, that, my understanding, and I, you know, listening to guys like uh, Sam Storms, um, that that they, my understanding is is that they would see that, that there's going to be spiritual success, but that that there's still going to be, I mean, there's still the world system is still going to be in place, um, and that the world ultimately is going to go from bad to worse. So they would take more of a view, a pessimistic view of of the current system, whereas the post mill guys, I mean, that is the difference is that. They they would see spiritual success, but not necessarily material success. Okay. Whereas the post mill guys would see spiritual success leading to material success.
0: Okay, and you mentioned Abraham, the the covenant, and uh, did you say that that Ahmill believe that the church fulfills that or Christ and the church fulfill that? Is that what you said? Yeah. Say?
1: That the it seems as it seems as though that the promises made to um, made there to David or Israel, David Abra- and Abraham in the old Testament are fulfilled by Christ himself and his church during this age. So, so yes, I would say that, I mean, from what I can gather of the, the Amil view and and that's why I'm on seems to fit pretty well with covenant theology. And we haven't hit, you know, I think we talked about doing a show on covenant theology, but, but, um, yeah, I think that's why it fits together uh, because because if you have this idea of replacement theology, the idea that the church has replaced Israel, um, that the church now receives the promises that were given to Israel uh, ultimately to and to Abraham and to David, the church has now is the recipient of those because because Israel was disobedient, Israel has been judged, Israel is is now um, has been now been replaced by the church. Um, that we've received those promises.
0: I'm, I'm just curious because I don't know if you can answer this, but when you read Galatians, Galatians 3, uh, 16 through 19, Paul talks about, Paul says this in Galatians 3, 16 through 19. He said, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And what I'm saying is this: the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to abolish the promise. For if the inheritance is by law, it is no longer a promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. So that it almost sounds like Paul is is saying that the the promise is still there, and that and that the church hasn't fulfilled it, but it will be fulfilled through Christ. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't. I don't take it that that the land promise, you know, God promised Abraham land seed and blessing. I don't take that as being fulfilled in the church. I don't I don't. I don't I think that it's ultimately going to be fulfilled in Israel, that Israel as a distinct nation uh, will come to know the Lord Jesus. They'll come to look upon the one whom they have pierced and there will be great repentance and that those promises ultimately will be fulfilled in in the, you know, with Israel. And I know that, I mean, that that's, a I mean, obviously a departure from what these guys are saying, which I think is what we're trying to show is that this is the, these are the distinctions of this view and why they come to that
0: view. Tell me, is there a danger in what is called replacement theology? Do you see?
1: Well, I, I think so. I, you know, I want to be careful, but you know, I think that you know, taken to its take taken to its ultimate end, I think you could end up where Hitler was at. You know that you end up hating the Jews. I mean, as a matter of fact, um, you know, it's it's pretty well known that that at the end of his life, Luther was not real happy with the Jews, and you know that he had some pretty harsh things to say about them. Now, I would say that he did that out of frustration that he that earlier on in, in his ministry that he really felt like that that he could evangelize the Jews. and But he found as time went on that he couldn't, that they were an obstinate, obstinate people. And I think he got frustrated and he ended up saying some things that were pretty well out of line um, in terms of a, a stuff that can't be defended at any level. I mean, I guess I am defending him a little bit by saying he was frustrated, but but you know that you can't defend what he was saying but i mean if you if you go that direction yes i mean you could end up with a situation where there's a there's even a, a a hate for the jewish people because they they crucified the lord i mean they they were obstinate they they were judged by god and they crucified the lord and so why would i ever see them as being anything anything good or anything good coming out of them and then I'm not saying that all all mills hold that. I'm just saying that that's that can be the right. that yeah. can be the worst case scenario, and so that I mean, you ask about what the dangers are. I think that is a that is a grave danger.
0: Yeah, I agree, and and
1: but I think even even those who don't even those who don't take that view, I think, are in danger of you know because God has said, "I bless those who bless you." I mean, that's what He. You know, now, you know, I'm sure the argument would be, well, that's now the church. But, but I, I take that as being, you know, ethnic descendants of Abraham. Um, And so I, I would, I would be very, uh, I would be very slow to, to, I'd be very careful in how I handle them in terms of how I view them. Um, I mean, and I am now that's not to say that, that modern Israel, I, I, I don't like this idea that they can do no wrong. Um, and I think sometimes we, as Americans, can take that, you know, and we mix our politics with our, with our view of religion, and we take this idea that modern Israel can't do anything wrong because they're Israel. And, and I would still take them and, and understand them as being apostate, uh, you know, that they still have not come, come to a recognition of Christ, I mean, in terms of by and large as a, as a nation. They've not come to, to recognition of Christ, and so the modern state of Israel is not. Um, I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be wrong to criticize something that they did if it was wrong. If it was something that was that was wrong, I should be. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying no different than criticizing the United States if we do something that we ought not do. You know, we you know we should hope be able to that ultimately holds people accountable is, you know, that those who are in power can never do any wrong.
0: Okay, Pastor Brandon, hold that thought, because we're going to end it, this podcast, and we're going to pick this up on the next podcast. So stay tuned, join us again. Thanks for listening, and we'll jump back into it in the next podcast. Thanks. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org.